This is Unfiltered, episode 108 for July 30th, 2014. Now, we have an option not to do anything, to let them continue to shoot. And I, I think you'd understand that's not a real option. Or we can act as is surgically as is humanly possible in a very difficult combat situation. Well, and the most unfortunate thing is that despite the most sophisticated weaponry in the whole of the Middle East, you have proved a very serious point. You do not have the capacity. You cannot forensically attack an urban area without killing women and children. Ergo, you have factored in that you will kill children and women. Welcome once again to episode number 108 of Unfiltered, Jupiter's broadcast, Jupiter's derp, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news that you should not be watching. My name is Jason. It's joining me every single week is a lovely and talented and a little hot Chris Fisher. Hey there, Mr. Chase, reporting live from Jupiter HQ and JB1 Studios. Yeah, aren't, isn't it more cooler over on the moons of Jupiter? <laughs> yeah. Because, well, man, We should be there, though. Yeah, it's getting warm. It is getting hot in here. It is definitely getting hot in here. I feel like this has been one of those days, too, where I, I had to take breaks because the only room that has decent air conditioning is this studio room. Yeah. yeah. So, apologize. I apologize ahead of time if you guys hear a little fan noise the, in the, the background. Biggest, the biggest, best investment I ever bought <laughs> was, a, was a room air yeah. conditioner. I told and I'm like, and I think next year uh, we're gonna go all house because, like, then you know you leave here. It's like, well, upstairs we have to edit, and when you edit, turns out computers like turn into space heaters. Now you have uh, AC back at JBHQ, right? Yeah. yeah yes. Well, I yeah. figured whoever needed AC anywhere else, <laughs> I never would be leaving. Right? Yeah. No kidding. So uh, we're gonna try to tackle a topic today, and hopefully not offend everybody in the process. You know, by saying that. That means you're going. To, we're going to offend people. Well, we'll get to that when we we'll cross that bridge when okay. we need to. I've got some thoughts on that, but right. you know, there's actually been some interesting developments in one of our favorite stories to continue to cover, and that's the NSA and yeah. our changing privacy landscape out over, there. We've been covering it now for over a year. Yeah, over and 52. Episodes. I would say this news this week that came out yesterday is the first really positive news we have seen as we have seen as a result of all the NSA revelations I'm skeptical. in the last year I know I'm skeptical so uh, Senator Patrick Leahy introduced legislation on Tuesday to ban the US government's bulk collection of America's telephone records and internet data to narrow how much information they can ex- they can seek in a particular search so I want to play this clip for you and then we'll set it up All right, now to the latest in the battle for NSA reform. Senator Patrick Leahy introduced new legislation today that puts sweeping limits on U.S. surveillance through the USA Freedom Act. Here's Leahy announcing the bill this morning. This is a debate about Americans' fundamental relationship with their government, about whether our government should have the power to create massive databases of information about its citizens, or whether we are in control of our own government, not the other way around. The aggressive bill is seeking to address concerns that tech companies and civil liberties proponents had expressed about a previous House bill that passed back in May. So we've talked about that before, and that was a bill that was primarily uh, influenced by uh, Mike, your buddy, Mike Rogers. My buddy, my good friend. And your other buddy, Dianne Feinstein. Awesome friend. Leahy here has come up with something uh, pretty nice. It's actually pretty aggressive. It's not perfect, but there's some serious improvements. 
So what's in this new bill, and can it realistically get passed before Congress goes to recess in August? To discuss, I'm joined by RT producer Tyrell Ventura. Tyrell, hey, Tyrell. it's good to have you on. So one of the things people were really concerned about with the last bill um, is that it would have still allowed for broad collection of data. Apparently, the language in it was was very vague. Uh, what does this new version uh, address? Does it address that issue? Well, Senator Leahy, you know, really went in and 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 beefed up that initial. Uh, Bill, he basically abandons bulk collection of data completely. Uh, it requires the government to kind of narrowly limit its scope uh, in, into the, you know, into its of its collection, and it makes clear the government cannot just kind of broadly collect all types of information uh, relating to, you know, a specific service provider like an AT&T or, or uh, Verizon or something like that. Uh, and it can't do it uh, for geographic region either. So it can't just scoop up information the way it was from like a zip code or an area code mm -hmm. or, you know. A city, it has to very, it has to narrow its its perspective, narrow its scope of all the searches. Um, what else is interesting is like both the original bill and Leahy's bill that, that it basically says the NSA would no longer systematically collect records of America's phone bills. So they, you know, they instead stay with the phone companies rather than going to the government first. You know, so like the NSA has to go to the phone company first. Um, it's it's an, it's a very all encompassing bill, and one of the really interesting parts about it too is that it it's it puts uh, on the FISA court, you know, the very controversial secretive FISA court, it also puts in uh, civil, civil liberties advocates on that court. Now, they can't determine the outcome, but at least they can make a case. So every time the government brings a case to the FISA court saying we need to collect mm. data from this person. At least it makes it a more inclusive, transparent Yeah, process, the civil liberties right? can be there to say, hey, hey, you could be stepping over something. They can make an argument. Now, now Chris, yeah. did you know that the I don't know. I know. I noticed you didn't have this in the rundown, so forgive me if you have a clip on this. But uh, the judges on the FISA court, did you know? Oh my gosh! I'm so glad you pulled this up. Yes, tell the people about this. I did not put a link to this in the show. Okay, notes. so I, I submitted this to the unfiltered subreddit. So egregious! All right, so judges have a moral and legal like obligation to disclose certain things like for example i had a lawsuit involving a pipe that was in my house and <laughs> d this is a true story i know, I know. i'm going a roundabout way in this so i sued the previous tenants or previous owners of my house for not disclosing the plumbing issues on the house and disclosure form i took it to court the judge at the top of the court said hey i know the defendants of this case i'm i'm going to recuse myself from the case because i have a conflict of interest all right. So now fast forward to the FISA court. You have judges that are sitting on the court deciding these. By the way, it's, they're not really deciding. They're rubber stamping everything. These judges own Verizon stock. This Verizon is stock. Uh, here's, hey, some, here's why, dude. Because yeah. what, what happened to the telco CEO who didn't play ball with the NSA? Quest CEO. Oh, he oh, went to jail. Yeah. And you know what else happened to Quest? All of their government contracts were canceled. But if you are a telco who plays ball with the government, then you as a government employee knows that they're going to continue to receive those big, fatty federal contracts. So you might as well invest in their stock because you know what direction their profits are going because they're going to be sucking off the tit of the feds. 
And if you're Quest and you don't play ball, you're well, then you sell the stock because you know that company's going to get all their contracts pulled. Yeah, on May 28th last year, J- Judge James Zagel, a FISA court member since 2008, purchased stock Boom. in Verizon. In June of this year, Zagel signed off on a government request to the FISA court to renew the ongoing metadata collection program. He's not the only one. The disclosures show that FISA court judge Susan Wright purchased stock valued at $15,000 or less on October 22nd, and awesome. FISA court judge Dennis Slayer has owned Verizon stock, and he collected the last year a dividend of less than $1,000. When I saw this... Some of the numbers are low, some of the numbers are high. It it's, doesn't matter. Even if it's a dollar, yep. they should be recusing themselves from the case. Yep. The, <laughs> That's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow. And, you know, so Leahy is trying to pass some sort of reforms here, trying to get a, uh, you know, at least some sort of handle on this. And you have to wonder if maybe it's the tech companies that are influencing this. I'm just afraid. I'm just afraid, though, with any bill that goes through Congress, with the exception of the uh, uh, unlocking of your cell phone bill, everything always gets neutered. It always gets stripped out. And by the time it gets to the president's desk, it's like a lukewarm wannabe fuel White House has already signaled they're supporting this version of the bill. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't believe that. Well, here's why. Uh, well, it, it allows them to disclose to the public this is tech uh, details uh. of the requests they receive from the government. Uh, so every time the government comes to them saying, we need information from you regarding X, Y, and Z, uh, you know, they got a lot of heat from the American public uh, saying, you know, why did you just hand this over to the government? Why are you just kind of a, you know, swinging, you know, why is your doorway wide open to them? Well, now they can kind of say, well, we can share with you, uh, you know, every time the government mm-hmm. comes for, to us for with an equi- request, which is that's a, that's a very important thing for them. Yeah, they, they lost a lot of money. They lost a lot of money. So actually, it's unbelievable how much money they're losing. And I think this is why there's pressure on the politicians. Uh, get ready for this. Citing concerns from talk, uh, top executives of Microsoft, Cisco Systems, and other companies, a report made it clear that NSA spying could damage the $150 billion industry for cloud computing services. Just cloud computing services. Uh, the immediate plan- pain point is lost sales and business challenges, said Chris Hoppenzer, the policy director for the BSA Software Alliance, a Washington-based trade association that represents companies including Oracle, Microsoft, Apple. The technology companies may lose as much as $35 billion all told in the wow. next three years from foreign customers choosing to buy their products over concerns that they might have spy programs in them. Well, part of the problem, Chris, is when you have, I don't know, routers that are being intercepted and then having their you know the technology installed like Cisco for example and then repackaged and sent off and Cisco has no idea and then all of a sudden right it comes back you're going to lose business it's going to kill you bad news though it's not win win I knew, I knew it wasn't. There is there is a gotcha. I hope, well, uh, the administration also makes significant gains if this legislation passes. Oh. Uh, most importantly, it codifies the authority that is now highly contested, and it pushes back a scheduled sunset of the authority that is approaching rather quickly that the NSA relies upon. In short, throughout this bill, there seems to be an institutionalization of government authority in exchange for regulation of the government, which the government is likely to regard as burdensome. Uh, and too much transparency. Whether this works ultimately in favor of the government or civil liberties probably depends on whether the industry ends up maintaining call records, in which case the institutionalization of government access to them will probably prove more important. You want to make a Red Book prediction here? Yeah. All right, does this pass or not? I'm saying no. No. No, No, I don't even know if we need to put the Red Book because here's why. Uh, They have a break coming up. And then, uh, and and then after they get back from the break, they've got two months until midterm elections. Yeah. So it's not going to happen, I don't think. 
But at least we got that cell phone unlocking bill done. <laughs> uh, and, you know, uh, hey, at least Keith Alexander, your buddy. My buddy. My Keith Alexander. Friend. Remember how we mentioned he's out charging banks a million bucks a month for his cyber protection? Oh, yeah. He's giving seminars and, you know, he's out there doing the circuit now. Turns out he's hawking a hacker intrusion detection service that he is getting, he's going to patent. He's going to patent this new system that only he has. Bless you, sir. Sorry, I'm a little, I'm a little allergic to bullshit. So <laughs> it's just, I thought it was money. <laughs> no, Lots of uh, money. too much so money. He was doing an interview with Foreign Policy on what could possibly justify his one million dollar a month fee. Now that he's retired from the NSA, and the answer Alexander said in the interview is this new technology. He says it's a unique approach to detecting malicious hackers and cyber intruders. Uh, that he kind of picked up from his experience on the NSA, and Alexander said he'll file at least nine patents and possibly more for a system to detect so-called advanced persistent threats. <laughs> what a bunch of crap! So, so, dude, this is such so, smoke and mirrors. It's ridiculous. So, not only he's going to get his pension from his work with the government, and you know he's going to get paid till he dies from that, and huge contracts. But now he's being, he's going to become a patent troll. Essentially, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's just no. I mean, like, first of all, if he if he patents things like an IDS, which is like what Snort is, an open source uh, intrusion detection system that monitors network traffic, looks for malicious activity, and then flags stuff. If he patents that, that's going to be awful because there's so there's still a huge industry out there that uses that technology. So I'm really oh curious God. to see what it is, and it's interesting to see this continue to move forward a little bit at a time, a million dollars a month. What is our world coming to, my friend? Hey, you know what? People can spend their money a lot wiser by supporting the Unfiltered Show by going over to patreon.com slash unfiltered. This is an audience-funded show. Chris, Chris, Sir, lay it can, on me. Can, you, can you lay down the fanfare that we used to play, the, uh, yeah, the Final Fantasy yeah, fanfare? Because I have to do this. You guys, you guys came through. Last week I asked you, hey, help us get over the 300. We were, I think, at like a 290-something. And I said, hey, look. Yeah. You know, whatever you can do, you know, we suggest $5, but, you know, the cool thing about Patreon is, you know, it allows great flexibility. It's a monthly pledge. It's a monthly whatever pledge. Whatever you can afford. Whatever you can do it, and it all helps, because remember, we don't do any sponsors on this show. Right. You know, everything is driven from you guys. Well, and last week, look what we talked about. This week, what we're about to talk to, you yeah. couldn't, I mean, you just wouldn't want to put a sponsor in that position. And, and, and we, a sponsor would definitely pull out, probably. <laughs> look at this. We made it over 300 patrons. We're at 303. That's Great. awesome. Now, there's just three slots left in the swag slot. Yeah, we had a couple like of slots pull up. Now, here's the thing about becoming a patron. Not only you're directly you know, becoming an integral part of what we're trying to accomplish, but we also give you some cool kickbacks. <laughs> get it? Get it? Hey-o. Kick, kickbacks? hey Yeah. If you're pledging at least $5 a month or more, what happens is you get an exclusive BitTorrent sync. So you can go back and check out all the various different clips that we've mm-hmm. done here on the show, but not... That's not all, Chris. No. 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 You get the overtime folder, too, yes. for every episode. And I got to tell you, this week and last week, there's a lot in that overtime folder. Maybe not. Uh, I mean, there's some stuff in there that's a little dark, but there's there, there's some stuff in there also that's not. I mean, it's there's it's really it's a great resource because it's, it is a essentially weekly archive yep. of the most fascinating things that happened in the world that week that I managed to get multimedia from. Some of it is stuff you hear in the show. Some of it's a video version of what you hear in audio form. And some of it's stuff that never makes it in. It's the source code for every single episode of Unfiltered. You get that. You get the supporter show, which is an entirely separate show, which has more information, more content. This was full. It was so full of info. Huge. 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 And you also get the straight-up pleasure 
of keeping us on the air. That's right. Straight and up. Real talk, Chase. It's a pleasure. That's right. And the greatest thing is, you know, we're ever dreaming. We're ever pushing forward. We're very optimistic mm-hmm. in our goals. You know, you and know, someday, maybe, Chris, we can take this twice a week. Twice a week. And in the meantime, I might, we might, it might be time to sort of create a midterm goal because oh. did you see that C-SPAN is going behind a paywall? Really? You got to have full fledged cable. You're going to have to get full fledged cable in order to access C SPAN, which is a huge resource for the show. Now, granted, C SPAN. I know. Was it's funded by the cable. Funded I know. By, yeah. That's their reason. But it would it would mean getting. I would need to get. See, right now, because at JB1, you we have, have to get, you have to get a basic digital. At least. But yeah. then I'm, I'm got to get all the news channels. And I want to get BBC World. And like. Yeah. So right now, a lot of this stuff I pull in either over the internet or I pull in via satellite radio. But C-SPAN is like a go-to resource every single week. If they put that behind the paywall, I might need to make a midterm goal to say, if we get to the funding, I'm going to get the unfiltered news package and get us some news TV service in there, which sucks because this is a business, so i got to get the business package because Comcast is a bunch of jerks. And Well, hey, you know what? That's the greatest thing about money, right? Uh, you're, you're restricted to no competition here. Right. <laughs> well, may, I could know, get satellite. I was, gonna, I was just yeah. going to say, well, I might. Yeah. And now that. that one of them's taking Bitcoin, maybe I'll go that route. But oh, that's it's, some, right. it's yeah. something I'm thinking about. Like maybe yeah. we'll work that into the funding because it's going to be a run a monthly running cost that I have to Yeah, that you have it, to it absorb. Would, it would also just be good for the show in general. So Well, think about it this way. You could actually have like a think of it the, the cable box or satellite box oh, at, yeah. your, at your editing oh, yeah. station and you're directly oh, capturing yeah. that info. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I know. It could be badass, I know. Yeah, it could be definitely badass, but those are extra costs. Stuff. Exactly. So if you want to support us, head over to patreon.com slash unfilter. Thank you, everybody. You guys are awesome. And uh, if you're an unfiltered supporter, do check the unfiltered supporter show out, especially for the last couple of weeks. There's just been some great additional info in there. More context to everything we talk about. Oh, it's impressive. The, the, the back catalog of content oh! keeps getting better and better. All right. So I wanted to start talking about the situation in Gaza. People have been wondering... Guys, uh, this has been going on for a few weeks now. It's really ramped up. Why haven't you talked about it? Years, but. Yeah, it took about 47 years. But why haven't you been talking about the situation between Israel and Gaza and uh, Hamas, really? And I think John Stewart nailed it. I happened to be in the Portland, Oregon area watching The Daily Show on TV, and I saw this clip. And Speaking I thought, of TV. I thought to myself... This is exactly, exactly, exactly how I feel. So I want to play this before we start up so that way we all kind of are on the same page. We'll start tonight in the, in the Middle East where Israel... What? Israel isn't supposed to defend itself? Oh, yeah, Mexico bomb Texas will be exercised. What other countries held to the same standard as Israel? Israel. Israel. <laughs> Israel. <laughs> Four thousand years later. Four thousand years later. Four thousand years later. Jew? <laughs> That was that was weird. <laughs> anyway, what I was what I was saying was last Thursday saw the start of a new ground offensive launched by Israel. Um holy um Look, obviously there are, there are many strong opinions on, on this issue, but just merely mentioning Israel or questioning in any way the effectiveness or humanity of Israel's policies is not the same thing as being pro-Hamas. So you're against murder children? Free Gaza! Free Gaza! Free Gaza! Free Gaza! Zionist pig! <laughs> 
You know what? Why don't we just talk about something lighter, like uh, Ukraine? (laughs) Yeah, I'm good with that. Which is exactly how I felt, um, because this is just a thank. This this next topic is a thankless topic. We will eventually upset somebody. Do, do you see that uh, pile of really dry wood over there? Chris? Yeah, exactly. And, and do you notice how warm it is in here right now? Right, exactly. And do you also notice that bottle of charcoal lighter fluid that's over there? <laughs> I don't use lighter fluid. And, and, and I noticed that the the electrical cord there on your laptop is sparking. kind of sparking yeah. a little bit. <laughs> exactly. So are are you sure? Uh, and, you, you know, sh- I want to – my background on this, my bias, and I think, Chase, you might mirror me on this. Uh, before we get into this topic, I – you know, I, for the majority of my life, until my late 20s, lived a very non-political life. I was very du- – I doubled down on technology. I didn't care about politics. I really didn't follow the mainstream news too much. Uh, even even any particular religious affiliation eventually kind of faded away as I got into my late 20s. Until the world smacked me across the face with its dick, I didn't really give a crap about what's going on in the world. So when I come at this topic tonight, I don't come with a lifetime of a particular religious view. I don't come with a lifetime of a political party affiliation view. I come at this looking at the facts. Yep. And I think you probably feel the same way. Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely in agreement with that. I've always considered myself... And I hate labeling even myself as a, as an independent. Sometimes I'm fiscally conservative. Sometimes I'm, I'm more social liberal. And some sometimes other you feel like a nut. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes you, you don't. don't. <laughs> but, so yeah. to really put some context in what the hell is going on between Israel and the Palestinians and Hamas, I think it's best if we take a trip in the Wayback Machine and go back to 1967 and discuss a little bit of the Six-Day War. Israel's port city of Elat, one of the Middle East's hottest spots following a blockade of the Gulf of Aqaba by the United Arab Republic. Ten years ago, Israel went to war over the same blockade, which cut off oil pipelines to Haifa refineries. Oil tankers and vital shipping arrive at this important city. The provocative war of nerves causes Israel to call up army reservists, ordering them to active duty to augment the regular 70,000-man Israeli armed force. Premier Levi Eshkol says Israel has no intention of attacking its Arab neighbors, no. calling for a mutual reduction of, of Arab-Israeli forces massed along the border. Of course. But taking no chances, tank units go through battle maneuvers in the Negev Desert. So the Six-Day War was fought between June 5th and June 10th, 1967, by Israel and the neighboring states of Egypt, United Arab Republic at the time, Jordan, and Syria. The war began on June 5th with Israel launching a surprise strike against Egyptian airfields after the mobilization of Egyptian forces on the Israel border. There was weeks of tension leading up to this uh, that preceded this war, uh, and it's, it's now seen by many as an unbelievable amount of victory in six days, essentially – Israel won a war in six days and tripled its territory size. In this process of this six-day war in 1967, it claimed the Gaza Strip. This is since this point in time, Israel has had this Gaza Strip that is where the Palestinians live, and they've been sort of restricted to this area. Uh, This is You kind of have to understand the history of where some of this comes from. Uh, And and in some ways, 
the Six-Day War is looked back as one of the most impressive military operations in the history of military operations. Songs were made about it. Popular songs were made about it. Books and movies have been written about the Six-Day War. It's kind of unbelievable. And if, to get a complete visual perspective, please visit our show notes for episode 108 and take a look at some of the maps that we have in there This sort of give you a visual perspective of the size of the Gaza Strip versus the rest of Israel yep. and things like that. Um, Here's some information about the Gaza Strip. Gaza has an annual population uh, growth rate of 2.91%. They have the 13th highest in the world, and Gaza is insanely overcrowded. There is a limited capacity to construct any new homes and facilities. The territory is 25 miles long. 25 miles long. That's basically... From here to Everett. Yeah. Uh, And in width... It's 3.7 miles in, uh, wide and uh, up to 7.5 miles wide in some areas. It gives you a grand total of 141 square miles. As of 2014, Palestinians of the Gaza Strip numbered around 1.82 million people in this area. The large Palestinian refuge population makes it among the most densely populated parts of the world. Okay. This 25-mile-long strip is one of the most densely populated places in the world. This is what we're talking about here, the Gaza Strip. Now, uh, it has been run by Hamas following the Hamas victory in the 2006 Palestinian legislation elective. Hamas formed a Palestinian Authority national unity government headed by uh, Islami, I think is how you say his name. Shortly after Hamas took control of the Gaza Strip in the course of the Battle of Gaza, seizing the government institutions and replacing the other government officials. So it's now run by, by Hamas, which is a, essentially a terrorism group, because they've been living under 47 years of control from Israel. So now they're pissed off, obviously. So, so they voted in this group knowing that they're a bad group. I don't know how much voting was involved, but Okay, yeah, but, yeah. but basically they said, go ahead, we want you to represent us, essentially? I don't know. I'm not. See, this is you're asking me areas I'm not for, super familiar. Yeah, with. yeah. I, I don't know the details of how these people got in power, but I do know back then they got in power, and Israel has a huge issue with them, uh, and so that that plays a key role in who they're negotiating with and who they're who, who they're dealing with. Right. Uh, and uh, it started three weeks ago when some teens went missing, and this was sort of the pretext to move into the Gaza Strip. They are abducted in the dark of night while attempting to hitchhike home from religious school in the West Bank. It's June 12th when the three Israeli teenagers go missing. Realizing they're in danger, one manages to make this call for help. It's the last anyone hears from them. Three days later, June 15th, the boys still aren't home. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu publicly blames the terror group Hamas, warning of serious consequences. This attack should surprise no one, because Hamas makes no secret of its agenda. Hamas is committed to the destruction of Israel and to carrying out terrorist attacks against Israeli civilians including children. But he offers no proof Hamas is directly involved. Netanyahu's comments are stupid comments. The (laughs) occupation is totally responsible for the escalation in the West Bank against our people and leadership. June 20th, Operation Brothers Keeper begins in the West Bank. 
a full-scale effort to find the three Israeli teenagers. More than 1,000 homes are searched. More than 150 Palestinian suspects are detained. Ten days later, June 30th, the bodies of the missing boys are discovered in the West Bank. Three innocent boys that did nothing, did nothing wrong in their life. They're so holy, they're so pure. And this Hamas just want to kill them. The Israeli prime minister delivers on his threat. With Israel launching airstrikes into Gaza and the West Bank shortly after the bodies are found. They destroy the homes of two suspects in the kidnapping that Israel calls Hamas terrorists. The abducted teenagers are buried the next day, July 1st. Hamas, always quick to claim credit for acts of terror, denies it ordered the killings. And questions swirl about whether or not they are really involved. A day later, July 2nd, a 17-year-old Palestinian teen is abducted while heading to a mosque. His body found later in a Jerusalem neighborhood. He'd been burned alive. Israel condemns it, calling it a revenge killing. The next day, July 3rd, a cell phone captures this horrifying video of what appears to be Israeli police beating a Palestinian-American teenager, stomping on him and kicking him. He is the cousin of the Palestinian teen killed the day before. Israel is investigating, questioning whether the teen was an innocent bystander. By the way, on that, on that video clip, they also showed that on uh, the local news because the family was actually uh, in the Seattle metro area visiting. And Israel, um, I don't know if they're going to say in this clip, but they said that that clip was doctored. They said it was conveniently edited to show it in a bad light. Those are those are their words, not mine. On July 7th, Israel launches Operation Protective Edge to stop rocket fire into Israel. Over 100 airstrikes since then, over 1,000 dead, mostly Palestinian civilians. What began with the death of three young teens, now a full-out war, and still no proof of how it started. That is the part that bugs the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously I know tensions are high. They've been high for a long time. It is interesting that the military, that, that cell phone video of the military beating uh, a relative of one of the other boys that went missing. Yeah. It's pretty damn convenient. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, now the problem is, is regardless of, of whatever the reality on the ground is, Israel has begun to massively lose the publicity fight because people are sharing images of really some horrible, horrible events that are happening, including a U.N. school being bombed. New Israeli attacks in Gaza overnight killed more than 60 Palestinians. A Gaza health official says at least 15 died when a tank shelled a U.N. school being used as shelter. That attack... See, what gets me about this one is this is... Uh, this it was a, a tank assault. Not one tank either, but many tanks. And it's one thing to bomb something from the air and maybe not have a, a, a full understanding uh, of what you are bombing. It is a, a totally another thing when you were there on the ground with a tank. Um, uh, you know at that point what you're shooting at. Used a shelter. That attack happened hours after UN workers found hidden missiles in a different school that was empty. Israel claims Hamas is hiding those weapons. Barry Peterson. There's been three claims of that, by the way, that they're using uh, UN schools or hospitals to hide weapons. Uh, I wouldn't be too surprised to find out if there wasn't people helping them do that at these facilities now that we find out there's three, uh, it's happened in three right. circumstances. Yeah. It's in Gaza City where rockets and shells are still falling. 
Barry, good morning. Good morning, Charlie. Well, if anything, the Israeli attacks seem to be intensifying. They say they have hit more than 4,000 targets since this war began. But it was hitting one part target that left people here stunned. For the second time in a week, shells plowed into a U.N. school, where refugees, chased from their homes by the fighting, were crammed into classrooms, believing that under the U.N.'s protection, this was a safe haven. Instead, And you have to keep in mind the population density of the Gaza Strip. There's really nowhere for them to go. So a U.N. school would seem like the best option to them. It was a safe haven. Instead, it was a target. We were sleeping under the U.N.'s protection, this woman said. It is enough. Have mercy. Mercy, like medical supplies, is in short supply here. But not mourning. That's never in short supply when metal tears through flush. To give you an idea of how how dense the population is, this school had 3,300 Palestinian refugees refugees in it taking shelter. Yeah. 3,300. That's how dense this thing is. That's, that's the situation we're dealing with here. And I, I, I want to take a moment here because the, 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 you know, we're talking about bombing UN schools, homes. The pre-show, we talked a lot about this. So let's break down a little bit of the Israeli official logic on why the human cost is so high and why they're doing this. You know, there have been uh, cases where in Europe where there's a you know, growing anti-Israeli sentiment. Uh, are you concerned that Hamas, which is a terrorist organization which has made clear that its number one priority is, is to, to end the country and existence of Israel, that they might be gaining traction internationally in this PR war? This is the uh, Fox News, uh, America's newsroom, and the former ambassador to Israel. And that is precisely Hamas' tactic. You know, Hamas doesn't think it can destroy Israel with its rockets and with its terror tunnels. But what it can do is drag Israel into a situation. Terror tunnels. Terror tunnels. Where we have to strike at Hamas. Hamas is hiding behind its civilian populations. Civilians get killed. Bad images get put on television and the Europeans start demonstrating. And then that translates into diplomatic pressure on Israel and delegitimization. That is the great threat that Israel faces is the delegitimization. And it works every single time. We go through this round of Israel being condemned and the terrorists being able to build ever bigger arsenals of weapons that they then fire at us in the next round. We have to break that now. We gotta- so the reason why they're being so relentless is because we have entered into a cycle. We have to break this cycle like a bad dog who keeps shitting on your carpet. You've got to break the cycle. Break the cycle. We've got to get Hamas to really give up its weapons. We've got to crush Hamas, and we need the time and the space. To- we've got to crush Hamas. We've got we to gotta stop arming Hamas. But, you know, let's keep funding Qatar, who's actually supplying Hamas with weapons. We're going to give Qatar an $11 billion weapon contract, and then they turn around and they re-gift those weapons over to Hamas. But we've got to cut it off. Do yeah. that, Martha. You know, uh, one of the headlines this morning, Gaza war, hugely popular in Israel. Uh, it talks about how strong the support is for Benjamin Netanyahu right now. Uh, you know, it basically, it, it seems that the sentiment in Israel is that the people there want to go all in, that they want to crush Hamas, that they feel like this is the opportunity to do it. And then, you know, at the same time, you have all this discussion of ceasefire. So which is it? 
Well, you know, Israel has a very vibrant democracy, and Israelis don't agree with each other on very much, but we're witnessing close to 100% support uh, for this war. With the painful price uh, we've paid, more than 50 soldiers have been killed. That's a very high price for a country of this size. More than 50 soldiers, Chase. Uh, more than 50 soldiers, of course, as of July 8th. We believe that 1,300 Palestinians, most of which, 80% of which are civilians, have died. And the majority of them have, have died from air, air assaults, correct? There's, or shellings, yeah, or tank so, attacks. Yeah. So, so if that being the case, and they, and they, and they really want to get in there and, and get the terrorists and get Hamas, what's wrong with the ground attack? Hamas. 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 What's wrong with the ground attack? I mean, seriously, if you don't want to kill civilians... That's what actually what they've done some of the most civilian killings is when they've done the ground oh, really? attack. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. would think that, you know, via the air, you know, and, you know... Right, yeah, yeah, you would, yeah. I, well, I'm, here's the... I'm no here's, war expert. Here's the yeah. reality of the situation, and I've got all the details in the show notes. Yeah. So it is a... It is the 25-mile Gaza Strip versus... Get ready for this. Uh, so have you heard of the GMI? No. You know BMI, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Well, GMI is the Global Militarization Index. It depicts the relative weight and importance of the military apparatus of one state in relation to its society as a whole. For this, the GMI number of an indicator represents the following information of a country, Chase. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready uh, A when comparison you are. of military expenditures with gross domestic product. Okay. A comparison of military expenditures uh, versus health expenditures. Okay. A contrast between total number of military forces with the number of physicians and overall population. Okay. And the ratio of number of heavy weapons available to the overall population. So in the list of countries with the highest global militarization index. These are straight numbers only, statistics. Straight numbers. You know, you got Saudi Arabia comes in at number 10. Okay. Uh, Russia, big bad Putin, comes in at number four. South Korea, obviously keeping an eye on the north. They're, don't number they spend eight. all their money, right? Yeah. They spend all their money, and they're in number yeah. eight. Number eight. Number one. Number one. Israel. Wow. So it is the number one it, it, Number one against the Gaza Strip. So when they talk about this, you've got to keep this proportionality in mind here. The proportionality, I believe, is the key to the moral justification, and I think they're way out of whack here, when you think about the proportionality of force. So I'll continue the clip. Uh, Israelis are determined to continue this fight, to break once and for all that cycle of violence where we get ceasefires imposed on us, and the terrorists exploit those ceasefires to build up their rocket arsenals, and then fire them at us. Uh, and Israelis understand. So the terrorists are using the ceasefire to rebuild their arsenals and fire at Israel. The rocket arsenals and then fire them at us. Uh, and Israelis understand if we don't fight now, if we don't beat Hamas on the ground, we're going to face a stronger Hamas, a deadlier Hamas in another year or two. And actually, more Palestinians will suffer in that round than they're suffering now. Oh, so this is actually what we're, the fight we're we fighting do is it. not just for Israel. It ultimately, will save Palestinian lives. We're as well. trying to save Palestinian lives. Wait, we're uh, trying right. to save Palestinian so lives. So to Chase. save lives, we have to kill. Right, we have to kill. We have to kill. Uh, if you look in the show notes, there is a there is a, a link called uh, video. It's a video of some song lyrics. It's actually kind of a catchy song. Uh, can I play a little bit of it for you? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, we don't normally do karaoke on the show. Oh no! But I just wanted to play. Can you find the lyrics? You'll find it in there. I'm looking for it. Show notes are so good, by the way. Come on, it's nice, Chase. It's catchy. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Chase. Ole. 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 Yeah. I got the lyrics. Oh, you want to read them to us? 
ahead, Chase. Here, I'll, I'll I'll turn down so you can read over while they sing. So so Tibby is dead. Tibby is dead. Tibby is dead. Tibby is a terrorist. Tibby is a terrorist. They'll take their papers away. They'll take their papers away. And then there's the ole, ole, ole part. Ole, ole. In Gaza, there is no studying. No children are left there. Ole, ole. Tomorrow, there's no school in Gaza. They don't have any children left. Ole, ole. Gaza is a graveyard. Gaza is a graveyard. Ole. I hate all the Arabs. Ole. Wow. So, obviously, there's extremists on all sides. There's the Hamas extremists, and there's the Israel extremists. Wow. Yeah. So, I think, you know, when we're taking shots at different terrorist groups and things like that, it's good to bear in mind that there's pieces of shit on all sides of this. People do it to us in America all the freaking time. And, unfortunately, the horrible thing about all of this is it's very likely not to go away anytime soon. Well, with efforts to work out a ceasefire going nowhere, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu warned his country today to prepare for a, quote, prolonged conflict in Gaza. In nearly three weeks of fighting, more than a thousand Palestinians have been killed, the vast majority civilians. Fifty-one Israelis have died, all but three were soldiers. Don Daler begins our coverage tonight in Tel Aviv. Mortar fire coming from Gaza today killed five Israeli soldiers and wounded several more. The IDF says its soldiers also battled militants who infiltrated Israel through one of Hamas's infamous tunnels like this one. Israel's prime minister warned the war would not be over while that threat remained. We will not stop without eliminating all terror tunnels, he says. The only goal of the tunnels is to kill our families and children, and this was made clear again today. Four hours later, explosive projectiles hit a playground in Gaza, killing 10, and Gaza City's main hospital. No one at the hospital was injured. Which is good. In 2012, Israel spent $15.2 billion on its armed forces, one of the highest ratios of defense spending to GDP among developed countries. That's $1,900 per person in Israel. Wow. Still below the U.S. Yeah, but... But it's that. But that, that uh, what was that, G or the... Uh, GMI, buddy. Yeah, GMI. It's that versus the Gaza Strip. It just doesn't seem very fair, does well, it? Well, it's like that versus a section of Los Angeles, if you uh, caught the clip in the supporters. Yes. Yeah. And uh, there was a uh, there was maybe one of the most brutal conflicts, uh, and it also involved uh, a bit of a controversy at NBC. NBC had a reporter on a beach at Gaza, and this is about as tragic as the story gets. He's playing ball with some Palestinian boys on the beach. And you can probably guess what happened next. Oh. Well, we're joined now from Jerusalem by the Israeli Prime Minister's spokesman, Mark Regev. Mark Regev, the operation that you're engaged in is Protective Edge, and its stated purpose is to protect Israeli civilians. Uh, how does killing children on a beach contribute to that purpose? Well, it doesn't. Right there. I mean, that's all you need. Do you want me to play anymore? I mean, that's that's really, that's it. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. But he's going to say, however. You have sophisticated but, uh, ships offshore there with some of the best and most uh, forensic sighting and uh, visual capacity. It's pretty hard to confuse boys running around with a ball on a beach. Well, let me be clear here. The, the story with these four boys is a tragedy. You can't look at those pictures and, and not be moved. But let's be clear, the Israeli military does not target civilians, it does not target children, 
And I don't believe the person who, uh, if it was an Israeli, who fired and, and killed those four boys knew that they were children. Now, <sighs> you see, that's one claim to make. But the thing is, is actions speak louder than words. And yeah. when you're at nearly an 80% civilian casualty rate, that's, that's the number that matters. You look at this proportionately, there's just no moral grounds to this level of response to a people that... Firing rockets? How many rockets have hurt anyone in Israel? How many of them? Yeah. The biggest thing that happened to Israel is they had flights shut down for a couple of days, which affected tourism as a result of this. Right, and that's the only thing that they were concerned about. So this is something, I mean, obviously it's not a territory we normally follow, and it's not something we're experts in. No. But it, from, from where we're sitting at, it seems to be a pretty effed up situation. Oh, beyond. I mean, it's it, obviously it's gotten worse and worse over the past 47 years. And now look where we're at, where you have, I mean, you have children on both sides. We're seeing video of a kid being beat by guards. Obviously, you know, some people think it's been doctored. Uh, There's always and, that. Every side. Every, every, every side. Every side. Every side. Yep. Oh, no, no. They are firing the rockets at us from the hospital. We're just bombing the hospital because a rocket came from there. I mean, they've each got their justification. So why don't we shift gears and do an MH17 update from last week? Uh, because they did get their hands on the black boxes. And we've gotten some early data from those black boxes, which tell us... Well, well we already knew? Depending on what side you're on, they tell you everything. The black boxes from Malaysia Flight 17 show the passenger jet suffered a massive explosive decompression, Ukrainian officials announced today. The spokesman for Ukraine Security Council saying in a press conference, experts of commission on investigation of causes of Boeing 777 crash informed us that the data from flight recorders shows the plane was destroyed by shrapnel coming from a rocket blast. Dutch authorities leading the investigation refuse to confirm that information. The Ukrainians should not use the investigation as a further hammer to advance their political uh, agenda. That is a Dutch investigative representative who's saying the Ukrainian government is trying to take something and run with it and claim that proves a missile and it does not prove anything of the sort. The Ukrainian uh, foreign minister was wrong to do this. The Dutch were quite right to be concerned. The Dutch Safety Board is planning to release its initial findings from the black boxes Friday. It will not be able to identify who fired the missile. It may not be able to identify where the missile came from. It can only say this plane tragically was destroyed at altitude suddenly. That's all we know at this point. The black box data has told us that, which we already knew. The plane has crashed. Uh, big, big deal. Now, uh, there was some good news. It actually looked like things might be improving. We get some serious information. Uh, the separatists, local militia, agreed to work with Malay- the Malaysian Airlines to protect them while they're there investigating the crash. Oh. And investigators say they will try to make it back to that crash site again tomorrow. Meantime, Malaysia has secured an agreement we've learned with Ukrainian separatists to allow a group of international police personnel to provide protection for investigators. Very good. So the uh, separatists are going to provide protection for the investigators. That way they can get in there, look at the crash. Oh, what? 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 Oh, uh, sorry, Chase. Uh, hold on. What? We're getting some. Uh, hold on, Chase. Some- this is CNN breaking uh-huh. news. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Chase, ahead, uh, this yes. just in. The uh, Kiev government has decided to advance military operations in the area, thereby preventing the investigators from getting to the crash site. 
What? The Ukrainian military launching attacks on local militia near the site of the Malaysian plane crash. The fighting is uh, preventing international teams from reaching the scene. The army is believed to be storming the town of Torres right now, uh, right next to the site of the tragedy. And that is despite Ukraine's President Poroshenko ordering a no-combat zone 40 kilometers around the area earlier this week. You might notice, too, how damn close that is to the Russian border. A team of Australian and Dutch police and experts, as well as European security monitors, are staying in the regional capital, Donetsk, unable to reach the site of the crash. Oh! Earlier, local militia agreed for an international police presence at the scene. But so far, teams have had to abandon their plans due to the escalating violence in the area. European security monitors reported the situation on the ground appeared unsafe. So the Dutch investigators are out because it's too unsafe, because there's a lot of combat going on now. Not just combat, but ballistic missile strikes from the Kiev government, which the State Department was asked about and said, wait a minute here. So we're trying to do a ceasefire so investigators could get in there. And as check it out. Right. Soon as, the, as soon as the separatists agree to work with investigators, Kiev launches this attack. The, the largest escalation in this conflict with the biggest amount of military firepower we have seen yet. What do you have to say about this, U.S. State Department? We have some reporting that um, the U.S. Um, has information that Ukrainian military has been firing short-range missiles at um, rebel strongholds in eastern Ukraine. And I'm wondering, you know, given that you're calling for de-escalation, if you're concerned that the Russians will use this as a pretext for greater either involvement of Ukraine or possibly an invasion or something like that, like it does seem as if this is, you know, what Russians' actions notwithstanding. Remember last week we said it seems like they're trying to poke the bear. They're trying to, they're trying to, they're trying to get Putin to advance. Now we've got ballistic missile launches right on the border of Russia. Ukraine or possibly an invasion or something like that. Like it does seem as if this is, you know, what Russians' actions notwithstanding, this does seem to be the most powerful weapon used in the conflict so far. And I'm just wondering if this is a prov- provocation that Russia may seize upon. Well, um, you may have seen this morning that the Ukrainian foreign minister was asked about this at the press conference and spoke to it there. So I would certainly point you uh, to that. Well, he didn't really answer the question. but well, okay. Obviously, there's nothing I can add to or, uh, or communicate on this particular point from the podium. Um, obviously, any escalation would be concerned about. Um, but beyond that, I don't have much more to add. Can I- so, yeah, it's happening, but uh, we don't have any comments on it. <laughs> We, or I'm sorry, our backed government is escalating this conflict, trying to draw Russia in. I mean, and of course, now... Of course, and then hindering the investigation at the same time. Now, uh, the U.S. says, wait a minute, we're not the bad guys. It's Russia that's firing into the Ukraine. Today, an already tumultuous situation in Ukraine, becoming even more volatile. As the United States says, they now have proof that Russia is actively firing into Ukraine. The evidence, these photos, and data from U.S. intelligence satellites and radar. We have new evidence uh, that the Russians intend to deliver heavier and more powerful multiple rocket launchers to the separatist forces in Ukraine. Now, what's interesting is now we're actually releasing satellite images. Well, wait, we didn't release any for the, for the, satellite images no, for the... No, And Russia says, okay, well, finally, you release satellite images, and they're crap! Some journalists received the satellite pictures, which the U.S. presents as evidence of Russian shelling into Ukraine via email. But much of the world found out about it from the Twitter account of the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. 
One of the images, according to U.S. officials, shows Russian self-propelled artillery in Russia, and the other part of that same image, U.S. intelligence determined, shows craters inside Ukraine indicating strikes from artillery. The date on the picture is July 23rd. These images have changed quite a few hands before they made their way into the ambassador's tweets. On all of these pictures, you see the name of the company, Digital Globe, which is a commercial provider of satellite imagery and aerial photos. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence is said to have analyzed the pictures and written all these captions with their analysis. Then they handed it to the State Department to be released via Twitter. The (laughs) spokesperson of the Russian Defense Ministry had this to say. Such materials weren't posted on Twitter, coincidentally, since it's impossible to establish their authenticity due to lack of exact reference to the location and the extremely low resolution. Journalists now operate in an environment where both sides, that is the U.S. and Russia, brush off evidence put forward by the other. That is the reality of the situation. Both sides just release evidence, and then the other side says, look how ridiculous their evidence is. Look how ridiculous their claims are. And that is where we now sit. We sit between superpowers who have their media outlets who claim things against each other. So these are the digital uh, digital globe images. Yeah, buddy. Google Earth or whatever. We're showing these on the video stream. And... You're not... What? What I don't get is, okay, so this was released on Twitter, right? First off, uh, that's not how you release this kind of information, it right? It seems to be now. But you don't. You you <laughs> Not for a serious situation like this. You don't go in 140 Damn characters it. or less and say, all right, here's a picture of what's going on. In my day, you told Walter Cronkite. Or you get on the Sunday evening news, you see, and you go ahead and talk about what's going on. No, I mean, you don't release yeah. commercial satellite photos and then put captions over it. Yeah, that does seem a little... And it's with weird. And also, no, no location information. Now, who knows? I, I could buy it. I mean, somebody's not lying. Somebody's probably not lying, Chase. Right, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, of course, there's also been word that uh, the U.S. is doubling down on Russia because they violated a 1987 missile testing treaty. Have you heard about this? Yeah. Yeah, we're bit. pretty upset about that. So, uh, uh, we'll stay tuned for that. I think there will be more about that in the future. We're going to keep watching on that. Fair but, enough. Chase, you know us. We like to end on a high note. On a- <laughs> <laughs> oh, the New York <laughs> Times, the man. The New York Times is getting heat for saying it should be okay for you to get high. What? After voters in Colorado and Washington State gave the green light for recreational use, the Times editorial board now wants the rest of the country to have the same opportunity. Jan Crawford is in Washington with the reasoning and the response. Jan, this story getting a lot of conversation. Good morning. Well, good morning, Gail. It really is. And at times, it's really just confronting it head on, not only with that editorial you mentioned, but with articles all week and an online discussion this afternoon saying it's time for the federal government to let states decide. The Times staked its position with the headline, Repeal Prohibition Again, and an American flag with stars changing to marijuana leaves. It's true that we have never endorsed uh, legalization of drugs before. David Firestone is a member of the Times editorial board. I don't see it as being any different than uh, having uh, a couple of uh, uh, glasses of wine with dinner uh, or a martini. If you want to make that choice as an adult, uh, you should be allowed to make it. The editorial argues that the war on pot is actually worse for America than using pot, saying the social costs of marijuana laws are vast and the result is racist, noting that enforcement falls disproportionately on young black men. 
urging Congress to repeal the federal marijuana ban. It also discounts the health effects, saying marijuana is far less dangerous than alcohol. It may seem like edgy stuff from the so-called paper of record, but it reflects a sharp shift in public opinion. In the early 1990s, then-candidate Bill Clinton famously said, I didn't like it and didn't inhale. Most people then, 78 percent, oppose legalization, but now only 42 percent oppose it. I think uh, Clinton was probably more of a Coke guy than he was. Did you, did you see, by the way, the the transition? You like that? That that was a nice touch by the New York Times. Yeah, there. look That's, at them getting all HTML5 fancy. <laughs> HTML5. So what do you think about this? Well, first off, this goes back to the red book prediction. I... I, I I, I think this is laying the groundwork to remove marijuana as a schedule mm. one, mm-hmm. and I think it's going to be a stair step approach. And this, I think, and this gives like uh, like the liberals who who bleed blue like this gives them like the okay to talk about this. Yeah, it gives them like the yes, the, and also well, the New York Times talks about it. We right. can talk about and it. and a lot of the media behaves that way too. They're like they wait till their master, the New York Times, talks about it, and then <laughs> yeah. they'll talk about it. Yeah. So I think this is big in that sense, but. You look at the problems that are happening here in our state, where oh, where the overregulation geez. has caused multiple stores that they opened for like two days and they've been closed for the past three weeks. A long wait for green in order to make some green. Washington's recreational marijuana business can't seem to get out of first gear. After selling out of pot in less than three days, Seattle's Cannabis City got a small shipment tonight. And that shipment shows just how hard it is for these stores to stay in stock. Oh, such so, so stupid! There, they've been out of. So after three days, they sold out. They got supply for like one day, and now they're sold out again. It's yeah. so stupid. And and see, this is the inherent issue. And then here's here's my potential worry about this, right? So you're going to have the state saying, "Well, look, it's just not working because you know we just it's know. so hard to get these get the right growers on board." Yeah, no, no, it's because you're overregulating the damn industry. Yeah. I mean, the medical industry, it just, it, the Colorado, it, why didn't they do the way Colorado did it? It just seems so crazy. Well, I mean, obviously Colorado did start with a regulated infrastructure from the start, mm-hmm. the medical side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Washington didn't have a regulated medical side. But here's the other thing I, I look at this. Is the tobacco industry, I know this is a bad joke, but is the tobacco industry as regulated as this? No. No, it's not. No, not you know, like this. No, no. You, you don't go... Now, I understand that uh, uh, marijuana has different THC levels, right? And so there's different varieties of pot. You just, But isn't there different varieties of tobacco, too? There's menthol, and there's this, mm. and there's that. And you don't go... And I don't smoke uh, 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 cigarettes or anything like that, but... When, Let's say I'm going to go down to the store and smoke some cigarettes. I don't. <laughs> I don't go or a cigar. I, I don't go and say I, I want the one with 15 percent THC. They don't. They, or uh, tobacco. Right. They don't Nicotine have that. Or whatever. They yeah. don't regulate it as right. heavily as this. No. Are they regulating it to death? Uh, obviously, they're regulating to, it to death to, to get the tax revenue. Yes. Obviously, 25 percent at each cut, right. each way. And there's been some numbers from the state of Washington that they've already made, already made 2.5 million dollars in tax revenue. Really? Yes. Well, that's not the majority bad. of that, by the way, the majority of that coming from growers not from sellers uh-huh no surprise there but here's the deal <laughs> if it's going to get so overregulated no one's going to come up here there uh, another story that i saw that people are not coming to washington state to do the pot tourism right because they're not going to book the travel and have nowhere to buy it right 
Right, and people just people that live here will just keep buying from the black market. And then, if you're a deer hunter in Texas, say in Polk <laughs> County, you might just stumble across a massive growing operation, 44,000 plants Jeez. spread across 12 fields. Good morning. When officials were first alerted to this grow operation, it was so massive, they brought in teams to remove all these, all these pot plants, and now they're working on that today. Inmates from the wow. Polk County Jail joined over 70 officers. Yeah, and by team, they brought in a team. Did you hear how, did you hear how he said that? They brought in a team? Yeah, they brought in inmates to do the hard work. It's from the Polk County Jail joined over 70 officers from up to 12 different agencies. In the July heat, they uprooted nearly every marijuana plant discovered on this massive grow operation. An elaborate hydration system made use <laughs> of a nearby creek. Yeah. They had pumps that will sit inside the, the, the creek banks and the hosing system that ran back to the uh, to the fields uh, to where they just turned the pumps on. The pumps would run through, through the hoses and then subsequently through the fields. A deer hunter scouting the area discovered the plants over the weekend and immediately called police. Aww. Nearby, a makeshift <laughs> campground was found littered with food, clothing, and equipment. Officials say the gr- by the way, by makeshift campground, it looks badass, dude. They got like they got produce there, they got barbecues. So it's like a, its own little enclave. Yeah, growers <laughs> had likely been living there for at least five months, avoiding detection <laughs> by landowners and law enforcement. <laughs> they'll go city. inside the overgrown area and they'll clean out a spot inside of it to where, unless you actually are right inside the uh, plant area, you won't even know it uh, that they're there. Like operations like this are a growing problem in East Texas, no where problem. dealers have set up shop to avoid heightened security along the U.S.-Mexican border. In 2012, 30,000 marijuana plants were discovered on an 800-acre property near Ali, Texas. So far, more than 44,000 plants have been cleared away, but an aerial search revealed the existence of up to 16 additional fields. Once finished, the total haul could top 100,000 plants, making it one of the largest busts in Texas history. And one person has been taken into custody, and authorities one. say more arrests could be coming. They're actually bringing in helicopters today to take some of those plants out of the fields. You know, you know some of that pot's getting pocketed. By the way, uh, pocketed pot. did have a comment from Floppy Bacon in the chat room saying, wow, uh, inmates actually do wear black and white striped overalls. In actually, Texas. <laughs> well, and some, uh, some jails are actually switching from orange yeah. to stripes because of the show Orange is the New Black. Right, right. And they don't want to uh, celebritize uh, the, right. the whole thing make so, it look glamorous or so whatever. yeah they're gone back to stripes uh you know in in 50 years we'll look back and be like man look at all that money they just probably burned they just threw it away except for the cops that pocketed well, it well hey remember there were there were times in our history when pinball machines were illegal and they smashed them up uh when they they seriously i know it's so ridiculous and and then they they took alcohol and they poured it yes, out and yes. they and they busted up so we've also talked about on the faux show when they poisoned alcohol for a little while wow yeah that's worth looking into hey we got an email before we go chase yeah this came in from Geralt. hopefully i'm pronouncing that right with the description of keep up the good work hi chris and chase I've been listening to all the Unfilter episodes and some other shows as well for a long time now, but finally decided to support the show after your reporting of the plane crash in which a lot of my countrymen, women, and children died. I'm from the Netherlands, as you could probably tell by my English. By the way, good English. Uh, it's such a relief to finally see a show that covers the news in the way you both do. The mainstream media in the Netherlands covers nothing of the stuff that you guys talked about in the show. Why am I not surprised by that, Chris? One point of feedback concerning the amount of money that Russian companies have in the Netherlands. 
There's also a lot of American companies that have the same mailbox set up here in the Netherlands. It's all it's a bit of a tax paradise, you could say. Keep up the good show. Greetings from all the way across the pond. Geralt. Geralt, it's for that great email. You get a little bonus clip just for you. Oh my gosh, it's Anderson Cooper! <laughs> <laughs> it's been too long, but Chase. You know I'm sorry, what? Buddy. I mean, that's the thing, right? You know, we, we obviously don't get Netherlands TV here. No. Um, and it, it's really refreshing, honestly, to see this kind of email. Yeah. And to, to know that... We might be on the right track. And we're making a difference. I hope so. Uh, and we've got a lot of good stuff in the supporter show this week. Yeah. If you felt, if you felt like we've only touched, only scratched the surface of the Israel and Hamas issue, I invite you to become a patron. When you become a patron over at uh, over at Patreon.com/slash/unfilter, you will get access to the back catalog of the supporter shows. One hundred and eight would be a great episode for you to listen more on, especially if you want to rail against us or or praise us. It would be good for you to listen to that supporter show so you have a complete picture. Yep. Yep, totally. And that's uh, the, the greatest thing about what we do is we don't pull any punches. We throw it all out there and really let you guys decide and let you guys chime in. And this is really the beginning of our coverage. So uh, we're not we're not sitting here um, where we are we where we're firm in our beliefs or have some sort of ideological uh, mission to uh, convince you of the way things are. We are open to your ideas. We recognize that you are just as smart as we are, and you have just as many experiences as we do. And yep. your a point of view is just as valid as our point of view. Yep. And we'd love to hear from you. So go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com. Click that contact link and choose Unfilter from the dropdown. We've also got some secure methods you can contact us, including BitMessage yep. and GPG Encryption and Keybase.io if you'd like to email in your thoughts and you just would like to have a little bit of confidentiality when you do so. Yeah, that's the cool thing about Keybase. I, I, I have an address. Chris has an address. And you guys can send notes in the show if you want to send notes and notes individually. However you feel comfortable, if you feel like you need to do that, you can definitely do that. But one public way... <laughs> and this would be a great way if you're yeah. not so concerned about the privacy and you want to get community input, you want to make sure yep. we see it. That's the Unfilter subreddit. 1,398 of you are already reading the Unfilter subreddit what? at unfilter.reddit.com. This is where you can submit stories, uh, communicate, jump in, and we've had some incredible stories submitted through the subreddit. Yeah, some really oh, good stories in there stuff. this week. I really wanted to make sure. In fact, there's a couple in there. Like, read a couple of them, Chase. There's some really good oh, headlines right meet, there. Meet the new Monsanto, Dow yeah. Chemical. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, PR firms in Britain are spinning that, stories for foreign dictatorships. That's the one. That's the one you need to go read yes. right there. By the way, Vice.com does some great stuff. I love their stuff. Go check it out. Unfilter.reddit.com. Help shape the content. Interact with the community. Give us an idea of what you want covered. Unfilter.reddit.com. Bob's your uncle. Chris. Sir. Where can people follow you on the Twitters? I would recommend Twitter.com slash Chris LAS. Really? Is that where you can talk about things in 140 characters or less? Yeah, and people find out about live shows, schedule changes, what's coming up on the Jupiter Broadcast Network, my thoughts, sometimes questions I have to bounce off the audience before I start a show. Look, it's you. Twitter.com slash Chris LAS. Chase, have you tried Twitter? I, you know, I love it. I, I love it a lot. I tweet a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Twitter.com slash Nunes, N-U-N-E-S, where if you're following me, I'm looking for a one-plus invite. Anybody got one? Yeah, he needs it bad. I need it bad because I'm about ready to throw my phone through a brick wall. Yeah, which I would wanted, not go well. 
which I should put on tape. I would <laughs> I, if you do. I, I would do it. Record it with an iPhone. I, no, I record it with the OnePlus. <laughs> there you go. Uh, listen, we'd love to have you join us live, too. Go over to jblive.tv. Yes. We do this show on a Thursday. Now, you might be sitting here going, or I'm sorry, on a Wednesday. You might be like, I want more Chase. Where would they go? Geekgamer.tv. We do Minecraft do Me that. on Sundays That's now. what I would do, Sundays. Yeah. After Fosho. I would join us over there, or yeah. join Chase. Geekgamer.tv. Yep. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Unfilter. I hope we see you right back here next, next week. week.